You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. Or you can check out our webpage at letstalktorah.net. Letstalktorah.net. The archives are there. The new shows are there. Question and comment areas are there. And, of course, the all-important donate button. And, as always, we ask you to please be kind and hit that donate button and, and help out the show and help us grow and help us spread and that would be really amazing and fantastic. And of course, as always, I thank you in advance. Have you noticed the weather? It is late December. It's in the mid-40s, and there is no snow. Now, we had a little bit of snow during the week, and it was cold, so it stayed for like a day. But now there's no snow anywhere. And you know, in a month, I want to go with my kids snowmobiling. And it's going to be awfully difficult if all of North, well, the area that I go up to in northern Michigan, I don't go to the Upper Peninsula, it's a little too far. But if there's no snow, what am I going to do? I have to go to Florida or something. But in any case, we're not going to cry over it. However, there are many people crying in this week's Torah portion. And that's really what I wanted to focus on. What kind of crying are they doing? Why are they crying? What can we learn from their crying? This is what I want to talk about. So, first of all, you have the beginning of the Torah portion, a very exciting Torah portion. It's Vayigash, where Joseph will finally make himself known to the brothers. Yehuda is ready to fight. Joseph has... uh, uh, put his magic cup in Binyamin's bag, and then, of course, the uh, soldiers went and searched and found the cup, and Benjamin's been accused of uh, being a thief, and the brothers go back, and and Joseph says, come on, guys, you guys go up to your old father and just leave the thief with me, and we'll all be happy. You're all a bunch of good guys. You go home, and, of course, everybody knows that's impossible, and Yehuda's ready to go to battle. He, he's ready to go to war. And that's what Joseph has been testing the brothers all along. How far will the brothers go to protect a child of Rachel? And he takes it. I mean, Joseph strings out Judah to the bitter end. And any further, there's going to be war. And that's not what Joseph was looking for. He just needs to know if they can love a child of Rachel, then they can hopefully love Joseph as well, and they they won't want to kill him anymore. So Joseph has all his soldiers leave the room so as not to embarrass his brothers, which again is an amazing thought that here you have these 
what we'll call 10 or 11. Joseph's not worried about Benjamin because Benjamin already knows what's going on. And you have 10 brothers that are ready to go to war. So Joseph is putting himself in danger, getting rid of all his soldiers, all his advisors. Why? To not embarrass the brothers. And then Joseph cries out, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Which we've discussed in the past, so we're not, at least in this show, we're not going to spend too much time on it. But, you know, Judah has been given a sob story to say, let me take over for Benjamin, let me send home Benjamin, my father will be upset, my father will die, he won't be able to handle it. And Joseph's reaction is, I'm Joseph, is my father still alive? Like, you're not paying attention to anything, you missed the whole boat, you weren't listening, as, uh, as Judah was saying over and over again that my father can't handle it. And the simplest answer, which will get us through so we can move forward, the simplest answer is that Joseph didn't believe him. And as he doesn't know the story. Uh, maybe they just want to get Benjamin home. Uh, Joseph doesn't know, is Jacob really alive? Is his father really still alive? Is his father not alive? They're just not, they're really not sure of the situation, so he has to ask. They don't really answer, they're, they're in shock, right? They, they weren't expecting this, and it sort of answers all their questions, like why has this crazy ruler been put in through the ringer? Oh, he's the guy we sold down the river. Of course he's putting us through the ringer. We don't even know what his attitude is gonna be. Now Joseph's gonna have to spend um, a lot of time, and he won't be successful, We'll talk about that maybe next week. But Joseph will spend a lot of time trying to convince the brothers, I love you guys. I would never want to harm you. I don't want to kill you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to take care of your families. And uh, the brothers are not so sure, right? Because is it really possible that somebody could have that level of character that after everything we did, he does want revenge? Now, I'm getting way off the tangent of what I wanted, but uh, we're talking about revenge. So I was studying with a friend last night, and we were studying a book called Mesilas Yisharim, which is the pathway of the just, and he's talking about um, revenge. And the Torah says you're not allowed to take revenge. But any normal person, if somebody does something to me that really hurts me, and I want to get him back, how can I get him back? And even if you tell the it's not going to help you getting him back. Like, what are you going to accomplish? Yeah, I, I've seen it with people with teachers, and these teachers, they think we're starting up with their children, and they, they have to say the perfect line to, to turn this person into mush. I, so what's going to help? Like, you're going to tell the person to quit, they're not going to listen to you anyways, just going to be upset? No. I, I have to get them back. I must get them back. As even the Silsi Sham writes, you know, revenge is sweet like honey. Sweet like honey. Everybody wants to take revenge. So the Silsi Sham asks, if everybody wants to take revenge, if revenge is such a big deal, right, and it's almost for, you know, anybody you talk to, if you tell the guy you're not going to gain anything, there's no benefit for you, and your only benefit is that you got to get him back because revenge is sweet, like, like, Why? And, and any normal person will look at you like you're crazy. I'm going to get him back. He deserves, he must be punished. He cannot get away with it. And, and it doesn't matter. And it'll make me feel better. 
That's also a, a, a good line a lot of people use. It'll make me feel better. So Mesizerim, they he says, well, you gotta you gotta fight through it, and you you can't do revenge because God said so, which is like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? How's that gonna help me? The whole book of Mesizerim Yasharim is trying to help you learn how to improve on your character traits. And the only thing he says about not taking revenge is, or hatred, by the way, is God said you can't. So what, what, what gives? So I saw some commentaries, and they said just a beautiful thought. He says, it's impossible. You have to be a superhuman, right, it, to have the strength of character to not want to take revenge. It's impossible. The only thing is, we know that God would never give us something to do that's impossible. If God tells us to do it, it's not impossible. I was telling my classes over today. I said, maybe that means really, really, it's impossible. It's, it's, it's out of your control. But since God said that you can do it, God will help you. God will help. It's meaning you have to want... Because you know God said, that's the point of Vasilis Yasharim. God said, don't do it. So if you want this strong character trait, that you don't must take revenge, then God will help you. So that's perhaps part of the problem the brothers have. Joseph is that amazing, strong character. He knows revenge is wrong. He doesn't need to take revenge. Not only that, he just blames it all on God. He says, brothers, you did what you did, but it was God's will, and therefore I have no complaints. It's amazing, because if God says you can do it, you can do it. The brothers, on the other hand, say, what normal person, what, what person would not want to take revenge? We sold him down the river. He was probably a slave for years. We don't know how he got to become second in command, but it wasn't pretty. So that's just uh, you know, getting us through that Joseph doesn't want to take revenge and the brothers have a difficulty with this idea. How could it be that somebody really wouldn't want to take revenge? Okay. So then you know, Joe's trying to talk to the brothers. They don't know what to do. They, they, they can't talk. And then Joseph and Benjamin cry on each other's shoulders. The verse actually says neck, but the fact of the matter is it says shoulder. And it says neck, but we'll say shoulder because that, that speaks to our language. So they're crying on each other's shoulders. Now, you and I would both say that, come on, the brothers, they have the same mother. They're the only two from Rachel. They haven't seen each other for 22 years. It's very emotional. The Torah is telling me, very emotional. They got together and they're crying. What's fascinating is that Rashi says that's not why they're crying. Now, normally, Rashi's job is to tell me the simplest explanation in the verse. Now, if it's an impossible explanation, then it doesn't count. If the explanation is wrong, Rashi can't say it. But the correct, simple, straightforward explanation. And sometimes Rashi will need a, a medrash, a Talmud, something to, to, to say his point. And here Rashi says that Joseph is crying on Benjamin's neck because there will be two temples. The two temples will be destroyed. Both were built on Benjamin's property. 
and Benjamin is crying on Joseph's neck because the tabernacle in Shiloh, the Mishkan Shiloh, was built in Joseph's property, land, about 360 plus years before the temples were built, and that will also be destroyed. That's why they're crying. Okay, I told you we're going to talk about crying today. That's why they're crying. So Rashi does not want me to think they're crying because they're long-lost brothers and they're very emotional. And I believe on that the simple answer is I don't need the Torah to tell me they were crying. Like, come on, long-lost brothers, emotional, but who cares? That's not important to the Torah. If the Torah is going to tell me they're crying, it must be that there's something we're missing over here. Great. So they're crying over the temple. So the question we have to think about is, first of all, the temples weren't even built yet. I haven't built yet. And what do you want to tell me? that? But you saw prophetically they're going to be destroyed, so you're very sad they'll be destroyed. That's almost like saying that when a baby is born, we should cry because everybody knows that everybody eventually dies. Right? Everybody dies, so why am I not crying when a baby is born? The answer is, when things are good, we're happy. When things are sad, we're sad. That's the... That's the circle, the cycle of life, right? There's, there's good times, there's bad times, there's happy times, there's sad times. When there's happy times, you're happy. When there's sad times, you're sad. That is how we live life. But now, the temple hasn't even been built. Why, why are you crying over the temple? So, I believe in this is the key to, to this lesson of crying. There's, there, there are times where crying is a very important thing. Yes, an emotion that comes out of our body and we, we feel and energy and stuff. And happy, sad, all beautiful. The crying of these two brothers is that they're looking very deep. They see why is God telling them now? Why are they getting this prophetic vision that the temples, the tabernacle will be destroyed? Like, why, why now? Because we have to remember, it is true, the brothers are all together, finally. 22 years they've been separated. And the brothers hated Joseph. And they didn't get along. Finally, finally, we have this window of time that the brothers are all together, and they're all b'shalayim, they're all happy, they're all what we call ba'achtos, they're all, there's unity. And we know that the first and second temple were destroyed because of hatred. The second temple is a more famous statement because it seems the common uh, populace had this hate. It says by the first temple that hate was sort of saved for the, as we'll call the upper echelons of society. But there was a hatred. Because there was a hatred, the temples had to be destroyed. So Joseph and Benjamin are crying. They're saying, right now, there's peace. Right now, we're friends. Right now, we're together. But the truth of the matter is that it's, I don't want to say it's shallow. It wasn't shallow, but it wasn't deep enough. In other words, it didn't get all the way into their roots that we love each other. Right now, we love each other, but it's not deep enough. And so why, again, why is Joseph and Benjamin crying? They're crying because they clearly see that this is not the end of the story. Today we're friends. Tomorrow we're going to fight, whatever tomorrow means. And because we still have this problem of brothers fighting with brothers, 
the first and second temple are both going to be destroyed. And that is something worth crying over. You know, a, we can cry to say we recognize, we feel, we know what has to be fixed. We don't know how to fix it. Right? That's always a problem. What we, if we don't know how to fix it, what are we supposed to do? But we know what the problem is. And that problem has to be fixed. You know, this um, thought, uh, so we're having a sort of a, an appreciation, I don't want to call it a dinner, it's more of a buffet and dessert. Um, we're going to have a Saturday night as a cel- celebration and thank the parent body that made our matching campaign that we ran a couple weeks ago so successful. So I was going to say this thought. First of all, you see how long it took me to say the thought, and I, I think I only have about two and a half minutes to introduce the official speaker. But since I'm on the staff and I was so involved, they want me to thank the parents. The problem is I was afraid if I would say this thought too quickly, people wouldn't get the point. My point I was going to say with this thought is that we all got together and we cheered each other on and we helped each other and we were happy for each other, and that's what made the campaign a success. So I wanted to share this thought with with you guys because I'm not going to be able to say it Saturday night because I'm afraid in my short period of time um, we'll miss the boat. So I have a different um, a different thought that I'm going to share with them. Same concept, but just said it on a much faster, simpler point. As the thoughts are allowed to be good, it's allowed to be simple, and they're allowed to know it. it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to tell them anything new. My job is to get up there and thank them. I will thank them. So this would have been a great thought to say. Um, that was on round one of my papers. Now I'll be ready for round two. But in any case, so that's the crying of Benjamin and Joseph. Um, okay. Now let's see if we can get to the next famous story of crying. So what happens? So Joseph tells the brothers, go up and bring my father down. As part of this whole business was a setup, God told Abraham that the Jewish people were going to be slaves in a land that's not theirs. They're going to be slaves in a land that's not theirs, 400 years, question when it started. And, and it was, I, I can't say if Abraham understood, but it was understood that we're going down to Egypt. Jacob really knew. Right? We're going down to Egypt, but Jacob doesn't want to go. He wants to stay in Israel. So the brothers now have to go up and tell Jacob, you got to come down to Egypt. They're not saying the words, the exile is beginning, but it was understood. Now, it's in the best way possible, because as long as Joseph is in control, right, we're not going to be enslaved. Right? We're not going to be taken advantage of. And even for a period of time after Joseph dies, we'll still be in a good spot. So it's true, eventually we're going to be slaves. It's going to be a terrible slavery. We're going to Obviously, talk about this in a couple weeks from now. But at least for the time being, Jacob will come down and life will be, I guess, the pleasant life he was waiting for, where he could just sit back, study Torah, no suffering. That's what he's been waiting for. So Joseph tells the brothers, you got to go bring my father down. You got to bring him down. So they go up, and we'll uh, we'll get to some of these points later because I, I want to get into Jacob's crying. So the brothers are going to go up, how do you tell Jacob? How do you tell Jacob that that Joseph is alive? Right? You brought him the coat with all the blood on it. Okay, but you have no choice. So they're gonna pretend we don't know what happened with that coat. We we don't know the story. 
So first, they actually have a granddaughter sing. Like under Jacob's window, he should hear the singing of Joseph still alive, and he's a king in Egypt. Jacob hears it, he goes out, he gives her a kiss, he gives her a blessing. That's Sarah's usher. Then the brothers come, and they tell Jacob, Joseph is still alive. Joseph is still alive. And it says Jacob doesn't believe him. I like to say the reward of the liar is even when he tells the truth, we don't believe him. So the brothers don't deserve to be believed. So it says they showed, they showed Jacob the wagons. Now, as Joseph sent up wagons, now this is very debatable what it means, Joseph sent up wagons, either it's a play on words to refer to one of the commandments of uh, when you break the back of the neck of a calf, when you find somebody murdered between two cities, that was the last thing Jacob was learning with Joseph. This way Joseph showed him, I'm still, I'm still religious, I still study Torah, life is still good. So either that was the hint of the play on words because a wagon is called an agola and this command is called egla roof. It's a play on words. However, I saw interesting, um, the, the Balitasers say that that wasn't the command that they were learning last. The, actually, the last thing they were learning was um, the donations that the, the CM, the princes gave to the Levites to help them uh, carry the tabernacle. The tabernacle is one of these buildings that could be taken apart and put back together. And when they traveled in the desert, you need to carry it. So they had they they donated wagons. Now, interesting enough, they didn't donate one wagon per tribe per prince. It was two princes per wagon. So there's a total of six wagons donated from twelve people. So the Svarnay says, why was it done that way? So it says it was done that way because the message was you can't do it alone. You can't do things by yourself. You need to do it together with other people. Success will come when things are done together with other people. So Joseph sent up, perhaps he sent up exactly six wagons, or he gave this message, but, he, but, but the message was when Jacob saw the wagons, and Joseph sent six wagons. The point was, first of all, it's the last thing we're studying. And second of all, this is like the sign that there's peace amongst the brothers. That was the message. Till now, Jacob knew there was fighting. There's now peace amongst the brothers, and that's a comforting thought. So now, now Jacob will be ready to go down to Egypt. So it says Jacob goes down to Egypt. And Joseph comes out to greet him. He harnesses up his, his chariot. He's... Uh, he has what we call Zerizos, alacrity. He doesn't let anybody else do it. He's getting out there as fast as he could. And he sees his father, and he falls on his neck, and again crying. Similar to what we had Benjamin. The only difference over here is that Jacob himself is not doing any crying. So why? How, I mean, how could it be? How could you have a father who hasn't seen his favorite son, who thought his favorite son is dead, he hasn't seen it for 22 years, not a tear. And now, so the commentaries say, Rashi says, he was reading the Shema. And even this is problematic. What do you mean he's reading the Shema? Like, reading the Shema, like, if you want to tell me it's the time for the Shema, okay, it's the time for the Shema, so how come Joseph's not saying it? 
So what do you want to say? He didn't pray yet? Like now? Now you want to say the Shema? Like what gives? What gives? How, how could you say the Shema now? So the answer is that till now, till now, Jacob didn't understand what was going on. He just thought he was getting one punishment after the next punishment, just suffering and punishments. He didn't understand because he didn't see God's plan. Of course he didn't see God's plan. God didn't show him the plan. But he didn't see the plan. And now Jacob comes down to Egypt and he says, God, you had a plan. All along, all what I thought was suffering all along was all for my benefit. So all the pent-up emotion that's inside of me, I'm giving to you, God, which is what Shema is all about. The Shema is about love to God. And that's what Jacob gave. That's the crying in this week's story portion. And the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all my wonderful sponsor listeners. I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have Alan in the back with us today. I have left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build, every room.